Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Chelsea tonight. And our topic is no one ever spoke like this. This is a statement in the Gospel of John that's made about Jesus, that his words were unlike those of anyone else. And I've been thinking, uh, really, there are very few words of Jesus's that survive to us now. If you look at all the words in the Red Letter Bible, there are fewer than 42,000 of them, which if you read them out loud at sort of a moderate pace would only take about three hours. How could you have a record of three hours of what someone said that changed the world so profoundly? That's because no one ever spoke like this. His words are different than other people's words. So that's what we're gonna be exploring tonight. Would you care to join me for a prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your most holy name. You are the one God of heaven and earth, the word make flesh. We pray for your presence among us, Lord. Please open our eyes to you in the pages of your word. Amen. Amen. Very nice to be with you, friends. Sending love to those who are getting the audio and on the phone and out there in internet land. <laughs> Greetings to everyone. And uh, a couple of quick announcements. One was that uh, our usual dear reader, uh, Cara, apologizes. She, she sometimes sends out an email to people. She has an email list that her list has uh, collapsed kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, so she wasn't able to send out the email. It only went to herself, which she found a very sad sort of, you know, <laughs> illustration of something. Uh, so she got the message, but isn't coming anyway. So I don't know. That's just sad. Uh, but we'll see if we can fix that. And I also wanted to mention again, I'd mentioned this a, a, about a month ago or something like that, uh, album which has come out a little while ago called Clear Shining After Rain. I don't know if the cameraman has an image of it there. Uh, but... Um, I, there's a new way that you can get this now if you've been looking for it online. If you go to the Bible Studies webpage, which is www.spiritandlifebiblestudy.com and spelled out spiritandlifebiblestudy.com, there's a new tab there that's called Gospel Album where you can listen to the album for free. Uh, you can download songs if you want to. You can buy a physical album if you want to. There's also a similar tab on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Spirit and Life Bible Study, and you'll see of the tabs up there. There's about and so forth, and there's a tab for the gospel album. So you can hear it and, and try before you buy and all that. So I recommend that to your kind attention. Thank you, friends. And if you want to Google it or if you forget what I said, a Clear Shining After Rain album will bring it up anywhere that it's it's a bunch of places. It's on iTunes and Rhapsody and Spotify and things like that. So hopefully that will help you find that. The album is like the music to a Bible study or something like that. You know, it's sort of a, a, a Bible study. Even some of it has me talking away. Uh, our dear reader sings on it. Our dear Chelsea sings on it. Also wrote a couple of the songs. And uh, so it's like a little uh, Bible study, only much more powerful and pleasing. So, so just uh, do avail yourselves of that if you would. And um, no one ever spoke like this. Let's read this story where this comes from. This is in the Gospel of John, chapter 7. 
where we read this story. And it's interesting how it comes up. John chapter 7, and we'll start at verse 32. <clears throat> the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Wow. So the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to arrest Jesus. He had been causing a lot of trouble in, from, from their standpoint, and so they sent officers. And I think it's worth reading this story. Let's look at this. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, and where I am you cannot come? So isn't that great? <clears throat> he says a few words. This is quite typical in the New Testament. He says a few words, and then there's this huge debate. About, what is he talking about? Back and forth, back and forth. Can't figure out what he's saying. Uh, go on. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And I want to hit pause there for a second and just say, how, how brief is that? You know, how many words is that? Four, five, six, seven, so like 10, 11 words or something. Uh, it's very um, brief and powerful, isn't it? Uh, you know, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And yet, what does he mean? You know, what is he talking about? Uh, so it's both got his amazing brevity, but also the depth in, in what he says. And then he says this in verse 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Mm. Yeah. Now, what does he mean? Just an amazing statement. If you believe in him, then out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And then the text explains. But this he spoke concerning the spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Yes, there's much that could be said about that statement, but we'll breeze on, won't we, friends? <laughs> Always, I feel like the Bible study is like, uh, you know, I don't know, driving through some amazing city and just going, uh, that's the so-and-so building? And, you know, <laughs> like there's things we could pause and spend a lot of time in. Keep going. Therefore, many from the crowd, <clears throat> when they heard this saying, said, mm. truly, this is the prophet. Aha. Uh -huh. So they, some reacted, they heard what he said, and they said, this is the prophet. And the prophet is a reference to a passage back in Deuteronomy that spoke of a prophet who was to come. It's a messianic prophecy all the way back in the five books of Moses at the beginning of the Old Testament. And uh, they say, he, he's the one, you know, he's the one. He's the one that was foretold in the Old Testament. And then... Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? <laughs> yes, right. Uh, you know, he, he's from the wrong place. Like he doesn't <laughs> fit the prophecy. So it couldn't, it couldn't be him, could it? You know, and so they're taking the prophecy <clears throat> seriously, but they're having trouble connecting the dots. Hmm. Go on. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And I don't know if you have a red letter Bible. I have a red letter Bible in front of me here. 
the amount that Jesus says there in that whole discussion is only about a quarter <laughs> of what goes on. You know what I mean? He says a few things, and then all the discussion goes on. Do continue. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Uh-huh. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why have you not brought him? Oh, these are the officers who in verse 32 were sent out to arrest him, right? Hmm. He's speaking away in public. They're sent to arrest him. They don't do it. Why would they not do it? Hi, come on in. And then what happens? The officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. That is their answer. So they went out to arrest him. Imagine being given that task. You have to go arrest Jesus. He's causing trouble. And they go there and they hear him. And they don't explain what happens, but it was just impossible for them to arrest him. Cause, and, and what's their excuse? No one ever spoke like him. I mean, we've never heard anybody like that. I, are you gonna? I'm, are you gonna go first? I'm, I'm not gonna grab him. Are you? You know, uh, there, there's something different about him. <clears throat> I think that's. I think that's very powerful. And look at how the Pharisees react in verse 47. There. Then the Pharisees answered them, "Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him?" Now this is an interesting. <laughs> Have you heard this argument before, friends? It's like something couldn't be legit. <clears throat> If the best people haven't bought into it, you know what I mean? If it's only the riffraff or something, it couldn't really be on the level. And it says, <laughs> have any of the rule, you know, and they don't actually answer the question. They just pose it as if the answer is obviously not. There is someone you'll find out in a second in their midst who does believe. But anyway, you know, <laughs> that has anybody believed in them? Go on. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Wow. So they judge people for embracing Jesus on the grounds that they don't know the law. They don't know scripture. That's why they're sucked in by this fraud, you know, named Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Their attitude is amazing. And so here comes a Pharisee who does believe in Jesus. What's his name? Nicodemus. Oh, Nicodemus, who had a conversation with Jesus by night back in chapter 3. Right. That's right. He who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, there we go. said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? It's a great question. You know, he doesn't tackle it head on. He doesn't say, hey, I believe or I had a fascinating conversation with him the other day. He just says, are we like we judge people before we even know what they're doing? Go on. They answered and said to him, are you also from Galilee? <laughs> that is so insulting. <laughs> Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Yes, no prophet from Galilee. So that just, that dismisses Jesus. Like he, could, he couldn't be. He couldn't be the one. So it's interesting that they're taking this very kind of textual approach to whether he's really it or not. They're mm. not looking at the healings. They're not looking at the amazing teaching. They're not looking at the fact that their own officers will not lay a hand on him because he's so amazing with what he says. Um, but that's what happens. And in verse 53, I kind of like that little tag on the end there. And everyone went to his own house. Yeah. You know, you've had <laughs> debates like that. Like everybody just goes back to their Time corner to of the boxing <laughs> ring and, and uh, you know, you stay in the same position you were in before. 
Yes, and so this is the, the our sort of text tonight is at 7 verse 46. No one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like him. And how do they know? You know, they, they haven't heard everybody, but on the basis of all the humans they've ever heard open their mouths, this is different. This is different. Um, so I've been thinking about the fact that Jesus had a huge impact. Uh, for instance, and I just have to paint with a very broad brush about things I barely know about, you know, same as every other week. And um, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, but uh, Christianity, that whole era, I mean, why is this the year 2016? It's because that's people's best guess from the time of the time of Jesus. Like, we just started the calendar over again. Forget whatever happened before that. We got a whole new system. And all kinds of people who aren't Christian, you know, it's not that there aren't other calendars, there's a Chinese calendar, Jewish calendar, and so on. But a lot of people on the planet are on that calendar, whether they particularly believe in Jesus or not. That's a very small point, but it's sort of a little indication of the massive impact that he had. Uh, much more profound is that, you know, in the Old Testament, you read about all these animal sacrifices and, and all that stuff that went on. My, my wife and I went a few years ago to Bath in um, England, or should I say Bath. And uh, in Bath, they uh, had these wonderful baths, Roman baths. It's the only natural spring water heated that comes out of the ground in England or something like that. And they had these baths there. And then they have a little museum and stuff about what goes on. The water's still coming up there. And the Roman, you know, waterworks are still functioning. It's just miraculous, amazing engineers. And, uh, and then they have stuff about, oh yeah, they had an altar where they'd sacrifice the animals and all this, you know, like everybody was doing it. That's what religion was. Kill a big animal, stick it on a fire. That was, that was religion. Since Jesus came, there's very little animal killing and burning anymore. And, you know, I'm not saying it's totally gone, but it's, uh, but it, it's very bizarre, you know, it's like satanic or something you do in the emerging world. Or so, you know, it, it's not sort of front and center for religion. That's not what we do. We sort of read stuff and we think and, uh, you know, we, we talk and, and things like, you know, it's, it's not about the, the animals anymore. Uh, so, uh, and I know some of that was already beginning before the time of Jesus, but there was a huge sweeping change. Another really massive change was that up until that time, uh, society was so stratified. You know, the royalty are the royalty, and the peasants are the peasants, the slaves are the slaves. This nation is this nation, that nation is that nation. You know, this ethnic group is this ethnic group. There's all the, the genders are very divided. You know, everything's very, very divided and stratified in the society. One of the things that was so astounding and that I think was very popular about early Christianity was that for the first time, ever in recorded history, you would have a Greek freed slave sitting there next to a Roman nobleman, sitting next to women who came from down by the market, sitting next to a, you know, a North African and a, you know, and they're all hanging out. Nobody, you never, they never hung out before. It never happened before. Part of what was remarkable about Christianity was that it just like, 
whoo, it erased and sliced and diced all these, all these um, things in society, and that was very attractive and new and bold, you know. And uh, I can't say that we don't, you know, we're not a pure uh, society, you know, it's not that there's no stratification or, or tensions between people in our world and so on. But, but the, the Lord's coming to this world had this massive, lasting impact. And therefore, it was really striking me to see that there's the, the, all of his recorded words. Okay, so three years of ministry. Let's say that's a very short ministry. You know, three years, not, not very long uh, to accomplish true. People talk about changing the world, but he actually did it. You know, it's not very long to accomplish all that. It's not like he was laboring at it for 60 or 70 years or something. You know, this, this, wow, three years. I picture that probably, let's say, just for the sake of the math, that he was speaking 10 hours a day, you know, to people during that time. It was probably a lot more than that. But if you take 10 hours a day over three years, that's like 10,000 hours that he was speaking. The amount that his followers recorded is just three hours, 41,522 words in the Red Bible. Uh, you, you can read it out loud in about three hours, uh, three and a half, something like that. Uh, and if you read it to yourself, you can do it in two and three quarters. You know, it's a finite amount of text. It's amazing to think that his impact, wow, that's a lot of impact for like three hours of, of text. And that text has a lot, a lot of repeats in it. <laughs> you probably know <laughs> Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, are called synoptic gospels, which means that you're, they're seen together. They're sort of on the same page. The way I think it came about was that Mark wrote his gospel first, and then Matthew saw it and thought, I can do a lot better than that. And Luke saw it and thought, I can do a lot better than that. And they came up with other gospels, but they have a lot of the same stories in them from the same, same uh, source and so on, they believe. And John is quite different. So often you get the same stories, you know, so you'd have to boil it down even below the 41,522 if you were going to get the repeated words or so, you know, the same story told a few different times. It's such a small amount of text. How could that possibly, how could three measly hours change the world? How could it do that? It's amazing. One of the things I wanted to do tonight was just go read some of the things that Jesus says about his words. You may know that there, there are various rumors that go around about Jesus and stuff. And one of the rumors about him was that he was a mere human being. He was a, a master. He was enlightened. He was a really wonder, wonderful guy, you know, uh, just an or, ordinary human, you know, wasn't divine. Uh, so the, the viewpoint of this Bible study is that his soul was actually divine. It, he had a so he was half divine and half human as a child, so to speak. And the human part got cooked by the divine part until it became divine itself. That's why everything disappeared from the tomb. How's that for the glorification in 10 seconds? And uh, <laughs> speaking of brevity, but um, uh, what did he say about his own words? It turns out he mentions them quite a lot. And I picked out some passages. Let's go to the left to Matthew, first of the four gospels there. Let's start with Matthew 24. These were just some things that he says, like does what he says about his words reflect the idea of, you know, a, a, a wise master or is there more than that in what he says? 
Matthew 24, verse 35. Let's, that's a good place to start. Let's start at verse 34. Okay. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Yes, Matthew 24 has been all these prophecies about what's going to happen in, in the future times. And then he says, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. <laughs> a little hint here is that generation is intended spiritually. It's not about 25 years of people's physical lives or something. It's generation means that whole, that faith, like that, that faith is still going to be in place, uh, you know, until all these things are fulfilled. Hmm. And then what does he say in verse 35? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Wow. I would say that's a strong statement. Again, attention getting, you know, what he says is like, what? What did you just say? Heaven and earth will pass away. And from a Swedenborgian standpoint, what he's talking about is that heaven uh, has to do with that former heaven that was in the world of spirits and the earth has to do with the church in this world. And that, that whole thing, this whole religious era is going to come to an end, but his words will not pass away. It's interesting that another rumor that goes around Christianity is that the Ten Commandments are done away with, which is really amazing because he says his words are, not, you know, like heaven and earth will pass away before his words ever change. His words will not pass away. That seems like a strong statement to me. Let's turn to the right to the Gospel of Mark. Look at chapter 8. Just reading things about his words. What does he say in 838? 838. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Wow. Yeah, that's like his words are really something, right? You know, if, if you're ashamed of his words, uh, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. A lot that we could say about what that means. But my main point tonight was that uh, that's a powerful thing for him to say about his words. His words are or a powerful thing. Mark chapter 10. Verse 23. <laughs> then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Mm. <laughs> and the st disciples were astonished at his words. Yeah, that's right. Just, what? <laughs> I think that was often the reaction that he got. It was like, what did you just say? <laughs> People were just astonished at, at what he said. And then he doesn't help by saying the next thing there. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Mm. So how dizzy are you by those three? <laughs> you know, one moment is like, if you have riches, you can't get into, but it's, with God it's possible. And wow, it, it's, um, 
it's powerful and it's the type of thing that even though it's just a few words, you think and think and think about it. How many people have thought about that? What do you mean by the camel? What's the eye of the needle? What does it mean about entering? Is that about physical wealth? Is that about something spiritual? Swedenborg says it has to do with if you think yourself rich, like, wow, I'm so phenomenally wise and excellent. You know, that's a hard place to get into the kingdom of God from. Whereas if you feel poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, you know, you, you have a better shot from that position of humility. Uh, let's look at Mark 12, shall we? Mark 12, verse 13. I just love these stories. We'll just do one of them here. But Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. Yeah, good plan. <laughs> We're going to get them all tripped up. You know, when you get the nature of these guys who want to stand up there in public and hold forth, is you just ask them a few tough questions, and they're going to get all tangled, stammering, oh, I can't, um, I, uh, uh, uh. so they're going to get them all caught up in his words. Go on. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, he's divine love which is the salvation of the entire human race, inextinguishable, infinite love, is told, we know you don't care about anybody. Go on. For you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God and truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, do you think he was fooled by that lead in there? <laughs> Did they bag him? You know, that little supposedly complimentary, but also actually insulting and misguided <laughs> statement. You know? And is it lawful? And of course, so, you know, what better topic than taxes? This will get him. Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy... You see, that was a little advantage he had. ...said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. He knew it was a test. Like, he sees right through it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're testing. You know, you're not flattering me or, you know, you don't have an honest question. You're, you're trying to test me. And so he says, okay, let's do the test. Bring me a coin. So they brought it, and he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Mm. And Jesus answered and said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And how did they feel? And they marveled at him. Yes, they did. <laughs> oh, that was a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> kind of breathtaking. And look at that statement, you know, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. You know, it's a very familiar phrase. Wow. You know, no one spoke like this. Who speaks like that? That is just amazing. And what's the farther that you dig into that when you start to understand Caesar having to do with this world or even the outer self and that God having to do with the inner self and everything, that they're divided, it's like heaven and earth and the spirit and the flesh and so on. And, and that uh, this is within this world, this is the taxes, you know. And so, hey, if that's got his face on it. And while we're at it, let's just talk about you, you know, paying your tribute to God a little more instead of feeling so high and mighty about yourself coming here trying to tangle me in my words and everything. You know, so he sneaks that in there and does the whole thing in about 12 words. <laughs> and, and they just, they're, they're, as someone wrote the other day, I like this expression, God smacked. I like yeah, that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> um, so <laughs> let's turn to the right to Luke 
chapter 4. He stands up to speak. He's, in, he's gone back to Nazareth where he was brought up. And he stands up and he reads from Isaiah. And then uh, he sits down. Uh, let's read from verse 20 there. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So how long is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> nine words or something. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Yeah, he said nine words and they're just blown away. They, they can't believe, you know, it's bold to say today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. That's not just like ordinary mortals don't go around and say that kind of stuff. He, he's saying something amazing here. And they're just astounded at the gracious words. And then they get into sort of an adversarial relationship. And it ends happily with them trying to kill him, throwing him off a cliff. <laughs> and, um, and, oh, look at verse 32 down there. That's relevant. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Yes, with authority, or in the old King James, with power. His word was with power. Mm. You know, they were, it, this is different. We don't usually hear it with that kind of authority. Mm. Luke chapter 9. So even though they didn't like what he was saying, they had to admit the, the gracious words were like, just, they were amazing. He, he says a handful of things and they're, they're just astonished, you know, like that's it. Um, Luke chapter 9, verse 43. Let's do that. Is that what I want? Luke 9. 43. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen to this. I love this. Let these words sink down into your ears. Now, isn't that great? Let these words sink down into your ears. It's great. It's very concrete kind of language. And yet he's also talking about your heart, you know, drinking mm -hmm. in what you're hearing and everything. Go on. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Mm. But they did not understand this saying. And okay, it was, number one, they didn't understand the saying. And it was hidden from them. Number two, it was hidden from them. So that they did not perceive it. Three, they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. And they were afraid to ask him about it. So how many ways can you say it? They didn't understand it. It was hidden from them. They didn't perceive it. Then they were afraid to ask him what it meant. Oh. Uh, I think that was probably the way it was often with him. Like, what did you just say? You know, I think that was the reaction that, that often people felt. Just amazing. And what a thing to say. Let these, saying, let these words sink down in your ears because the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. You know, what are you talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. Man, just uh, so far over other people's heads. And yet saying very simple things. You know, he doesn't get into dramatic, inside, philosophical, what a, you know, it's just like ears. So let this sink down in your, you know, very concrete language. Just amazing. Uh, let's go to Luke 24, verse 44. Now, this is after Jesus' crucifixion, and he appears uh, to his 12 disciples behind closed doors. 
they think they've seen a spirit and and then he eats in front of them he's sort of demonstrating that that he was resurrected and look at verse 44 in there then he said to them these are the words which i spoke to you while i was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of moses and the prophets and the psalms concerning me yeah so he ties his own words with the words of moses the prophets and the psalms and and that it's such a prominently placed statement. These are the words that I, this I spoke to you. you know, this is what I was talking about. I was talking about the crucifixion. I was talking about glorification. I was talking about the resurrection. This is what I was talking about. Uh, and it was all a fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. Yeah. Okay, let's go to John. There's a few of these in John here. John chapter 5. Uh, Let's see, John 5, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Just on the basis of hearing what he said. That if you hear, if you hear my word, if you, hear, if you heard what I said, You've, you know, that's not a normal thing to, to blurt to someone, you know. Uh, that's a really remarkable statement about the power of his word. Uh, look at verse 47 in there. Oh, let's back up a little bit. Um, verse 45, let's pick it up there. He's in a big argument with the people. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, in whom you trust. Yeah, these were scholars of the Old Testament. And so Moses was it. You know, the five books of Moses, mm. the Torah, most sacred part of the, of the uh, Hebrew scriptures. And he said, you trust in Moses. And then, what does he say? For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. See, that's a reference to the same thing we were reading before about the prophet. Moses mm. wrote about this coming prophet. And then, what does it say? But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Again, aligning his words with the Old Testament scriptures, the most revered thing, you know, in the, in the Hebrew, Hebrew scriptures. Um, if you don't, and, and he accuses them of not believing in it because they, those scriptures, he says, were predictive of his coming into this world. So if you didn't believe mm -hmm. Moses, you're not going to believe. If you don't believe what he wrote, you're not going to believe what I say, my words. Powerful. Uh, look at 6. This might be familiar to you, friends. John 6, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. This is where the name of the Bible study comes from, the Spirit and Life Bible study. And oh, <laughs> wow, to say that your words are, are spirit, they are spirit and they are life. That might go some distance toward explaining how just 42,000 words could change the world, you know, like if those words are spirit and they are life, there's so much depth. There's a whole world inside them. And there's, there's the power, that divine power to change the world. 
uh, within those few words that are left behind. And look at how brief that first phrase is again. Just I marvel at it. You know, it's the spirit. How did it go? Verse it, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Yeah, it's amazing. Like such economy of language and the kind of thing that you just take away and you think about so, so hard. Um, okay, how about John 8? Go to John 8, a few different verses in here. We'll go to 8, verse 30. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Mm. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Yeah, that's all stated of... So what he was saying was something that you could move into, right? B abide in my in, in my word. You know, you can you can move right in here. You can live. You know, it might not be that many words on the page, but you can move right in here and live in here and stay in here, uh, and that will have a very good effect on your on your eternal and spiritual life. It's a good good place to be. Uh, look at verse uh, thirty-seven in there. Don't we have something else there? Yes, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Mm, verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Isn't that interesting? Almost contrasting the speech and the word. You know, the word is what the speech contains or something. Why don't you understand, you know, why don't you understand what I'm saying? Uh, you know, that's cool. And verse 51. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Yeah, these are not normal things to say. <laughs> you know, no, who else would say that? No one spoke like this, right? Uh, look at chapter 12. And John, I want to go to verses 47 and 48. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words mm. has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Mm. So the very thing that he has said will be a judge or some sort of a, a, a ruler or a guide, a standard against which... Uh, this judgment will occur. Mm. Let's read verse 49. That's important. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. So he's saying this all came in, in, in the way that Swedenborg understands this. It means that it all came from the divine love that was within him. That's who the Father means. Uh, uh, the, the, the love dictates what, what he says. And verse 50. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Yeah, so his words came from a divine origin is the way I read that. Uh, chapter 14, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Yes. And uh, later in that same chapter, verse uh, 23. 
Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's right. And the next verse? He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Yeah. Again, just powerful statements about his word. There are just a few more here. In (laughs) chapter 15, uh, verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. That's an amazing statement also. And this time, it's not us abiding in his words, it's his words abiding in us. It's kind of neat, you know, sort of a symmetry there. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. And look at verse 20 in that same chapter. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Interesting. So it just fits in with the theme of the word. And last is chapter 17. Uh, This is Jesus praying. And he says in verse 8 there. For I have given to them the words which you have given to me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Yeah, that's right. So he's saying at the end of his life, I I gave them the word. You know, I I said what I was supposed to say. And look at, um, it's only distantly related, but look at the very end of John chapter 21. 21 verse 25, wrapping up the Gospel of John. And what does it say there? And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Yeah. And to me, that speaks also to, you know, if he was speaking 10, 15 hours a day or something, and, you know, uh, and 10,000, 15,000 hours of communication, three of which come down to us. Uh, you know, the, the world itself couldn't hold all the books of, of what, he was, what he was saying and all the depth within what, what he was saying. And this says the same thing of what he did. If you, if you wrote down everything he did, the world couldn't, couldn't hold all the, all the books that would be written. Um, okay, so... Uh, the Lord's brevity is really admirable. Like if you, you know, I don't know, you picture God coming down to earth, don't you think he would just ramble on and on? (laughs) He's got an infinite amount to say. You know, it's amazing that he's so succinct. I've marveled at the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. The, The figure I have in my head, I didn't look it up, is I think in Hebrew it's 180 words or something. There's tiny little thing, Ten Commandments, you know. There's a few little little words, you know. And, and a number of the sayings that we've read tonight, they're eight, ten words. They're these little pithy things. I was thinking about the parable of the sower. Maybe we'll talk more about this another, another time. Uh, the parable of the sower, to my mind, is all about the reception of truth. It says that the seed is the word. And to summarize briefly, you probably remember the story, but, but some of the seed falls on uh, like hard ground, like a hardened pathway or something. The birds come and pick it up. And then some falls in an area where it has a little 
dirt and it springs up, but then the heat comes up and it withers. And then the third, it falls into a place where it has a little more depth of earth, but then weeds come up and choke it. And then the fourth is good ground and it brings forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100, only the other way around. But, um, uh, you know, he could have said, there are millions of ways to receive this, not there are four, you know? <laughs> like it's nice and succinct, you know, here. So he's, he's encapsulated the whole thing down in here. I do want to talk a little bit, and I'm hoping to talk another time some more about the idea of correspondences. I really love Swedenborg's idea of correspondences. There's been a lot of talk over the centuries about uh, an idea of Scripture being allegorical or having, you know, layers of meaning and so on. And then other people say, no, it's to be taken absolutely literally and so forth. But you still have to sort of figure out what you're going to do with all the analogies and referring to people as trees or as animals or, you know, uh, but uh, still, you know, take it literally, take the miracles and the creation story literally and so on. Uh, what I love about Swedenborg's explanation, which is really something different than either of those, is that he says that there's a consistency of meaning from beginning to end. And that's really what we're looking at every night in, in Bible study in a way. Uh, we haven't done it so much tonight, but the uh, where you take something like oil or or figs or, or something, and, and you look at it all the way through Scripture, and you see that over the thousands of years the Scripture was written by scores of different people, it, it comes up in the same context again and again and again. It has the same kind of meaning. The moon has the same kind of meaning. So it's not sort of anything goes like, oh, just have it say whatever you want. No, no, there's a very consistent layer of meaning behind it. And once you learn that language of correspondences, you can apply it to a passage you hadn't seen before uh, and come out with some pretty good understanding because it, it's, it's a consistent language across the whole of Scripture. Uh, and there are certain basic principles of how you divide that out. That's a lot of what we're doing in this Bible study. And I think part of the power of the Lord's words was this use of correspondences uh, to talk in such simple ways. Let let these words sink down into your ears, you know? What a, what a great thing to say. Uh, so he speaks so much about things like sheep, uh, people going to work all day in a vineyard or, or whatever. Or there was a, a landowner who did this and his servants did that. Or he, you know, they're very concrete kind of things that he's talking about. And yet somehow he'll weave a whole thing in there there's a piece of cloth, but it'll shrink when it's attached to the other piece of cloth. It's like a wineskin and, you know, it, very concrete things. But isn't it fascinating to think? It's just shocking how few words are left behind of his. And for 2,000 years, people have been preaching about those words. They've been translated into thousands of languages. People ponder those. The Bible is the best-selling book on the planet, 800 million copies a year. Those words have had an impact. They've, they've had a long, even though people are still scratching their heads, you know, trying to figure out what he's talking about. But his words have had an enormous impact. To me, it just speaks, you know, there's no requirement for anybody to believe. But to me, it speaks to the, to the divine nature of what he said. To say so little and to have that have such a transformative effect on so many lives across thousands of years. 
And uh, so it, it was efficient. It was amazing. No one, no one ever spoke like this. No one ever did. No one ever spoke like that. And a sort of final thought that I wanted to leave you with was that uh, I think his words have had a huge impact, as I say, on changing society, on changing structures. People went from polygamy to monogamy. Uh, you know, there, there were major societal changes that came about as a result of, of his teaching. Uh, I think that we have hardly scratched the surface. We've hardly even gotten started. We're still sort of just astonished at what he said and we don't, don't really understand it very well yet. But you can crawl inside. We can move into those. There's plenty of room in there. There's plenty of room in those 41,522 words. You can move in and, and live in there and let that do something to you. You know, they're very active, his words. They want to do something to you. They, they want to help you. They want to give you hope. They want to deal with your evils, get your evil spirits off to the side. They want to benefit you. They want to teach you how to benefit others. They want to tell you how to be compassionate, how to be selfless as he was, uh, tell you about truth and the eternity of the human spirit, about heaven, about hell. You know, his words are, are doing something uh, very powerful. And uh, I've just been very drawn the past number of years. It is one of the things that, that uh, my album tries to, to uh, get to is this hope for the future. This idea in Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7 in there that, that uh, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This very positive view of the future, the end of the book of Revelation where the holy city, New Jerusalem, comes down from God out of heaven, prepared as a, as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, these are promises. You know, I used to feel like when I would go to Christmas services or Easter that we're celebrating something from the way distant we can hardly remember, just a distant, distant past, you know. It's so exciting to me to think that most of it hasn't happened yet. You know, Christianity, the promise, the true promise of Christianity has hardly gotten out of the starting gate. There were a few misunderstandings. We stumbled a little bit when we first got out of the gate there for a couple thousand years. But, you know, we're, we're getting it together. We're figuring out what he was saying and everything. The transformative effect of those words, they, they, they've hardly begun to have the impact that they were designed to have. There's an unending benefit that they wish. They are really an avenue to heaven on earth, you know, if we abide in those words, if those words abide in us, if we really got them in our heart, you know, if we really take in what the Lord is saying, understand his compassion and mercy and truth and what that does to us, how that helps us grow little by little as a gradual, gradual process, but helping us grow. And as the culture grows and turns more towards love and away from hatred and so on, uh, it's, it's actually very exciting to think about what the, what the world is going to be. And it's predicted in Scripture that's going to happen. And I believe, uh, and it is an act of faith, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
He's in all time apart from time, in all space apart from space. He's already up in the future. He knows how it turns out. And he wrote that in the book of Revelation. It's going to be great. Holy City's going to come down. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to go off the rails or something. It's going to happen. It's going to be good. And um, uh, that's where we're headed. And the word is a very crucial, very crucial piece of this. His words actually are spirit and they actually are life. Thank you for your kind attention, good friends. So let's close with a prayer, shall we? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord, for bowing down the heavens and coming into this world. You face so much misunderstanding, so much twisting of your words, so much astonishment and rejection and so on. Thank you for giving those beautiful words. So few of them are able to sustain and change and save the human race. We pray for your help in our lives, Lord. Make us more like you. Help us to deploy your compassion and your truth in our lives to help others with what they're going through. Lead us forward, Lord. We're praying, we're envisioning a heaven on earth. Make it so, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen let's keep on repenting friends is the first step toward a better world <laughs>